The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, episode 654 of IGN's weekly PlayStation show. Uh, We have a lot to talk about this week, both of the current-gen variety and looking forward to the next-gen. But before we do, I'd like to introduce my panel for this week. I'm joined by Tom, right back where we started, Marks. I think you've given up. I think you've, yeah, I have. your spirits are broken, and you're just not going anymore. Yeah, tell me (laughs) when when I announce I'm leaving in 12 yeah. years tell me what your middle name is okay um but we're also joined this week by cam hawkins from dual shockers cam welcome to the show thank you for inviting me it, uh this is a dream come true so uh i'm uh, very humbled and uh happy to be here we're happy to have you uh for those who don't know your work or don't know dual shockers maybe uh why don't you give us a little background on who you are uh what sort of you've been doing uh in, in the gaming writing sphere as of late and sort of uh your your playstation history uh yeah so uh yeah right for dualshockers.com it's um a smaller uh but uh, i would say well-known still site uh video game site um and I've been writing there since uh, like April of last year. Uh, that's when I uh, got my start in the industry. Uh, I've been featured on Inside Gaming, Kind of Funny Games Daily. And uh, when it comes to my PlayStation history, I'm uh, primarily PlayStation 2 was my big time with PlayStation. I have kind of more shifted over to Xbox um, after that, but I still have a PS4. I, you know, I had a PS3. I still play the PlayStation games. I love, I love both platforms. Um, and when it comes, and I'm a huge Kingdom Hearts fan. Like I still see uh, Kingdom Hearts as a PlayStation franchise, um, despite it going to uh, other platforms now, which I'm very happy about. Uh, I was so happy when I heard that it was finally coming to Xbox. Uh, so, but yeah, that's kind of a little bit about me. Yeah, it's uh, I still have that association very much, too. And for those wondering, yes, there will be some Kingdom Hearts discussion toward the end of this episode. Maybe that's why Brian and Max aren't here. Maybe it isn't. You'll never find <laughs> out. Um, but we definitely will be talking about that a little later. Uh, obviously, you know, associating Kingdom Hearts with PlayStation. What is a like PlayStation maybe first party franchise that's sort of a favorite for you? Either, either from the PS4 era or beforehand, like what really has stuck with you? probably say my favorite um i don't want to make this sound like a negative thing like i don't i'm just like not a huge fan of like a lot of playstation first parties which i know is not a popular opinion but um (laughs) i would say that my favorite like right now would probably be god of war um i i legitimately i've played through all of the games and i legitimately enjoy all of them um you know not all of them are you know uh masterpieces or any sorts but i i feel like i got something out of all of uh those experiences um from ps3 as well as uh, 2018 that's probably what i would uh pick but um when it comes to my favorite like exclusives uh of this generation definitely like uh final fantasy 7 remake which it, we uh is likely to go to uh xbox um in a year or two based off that time exclusivity thing that they're doing but also uh, persona 5 royal is like both of those two are definitely um my top two favorites this generation Nice. Well, you're you're speaking Tom's and my language, so uh, <laughs> we'll we'll have a lot to talk about as the episode goes on. Uh, a little bit 
of housekeeping though before we get into the nitty-gritty of discussion i do want to mention uh obviously normally the show aims to be up every wednesday occasionally we have some delays because uh schedules have been crazy with the ign summer of gaming recently but uh in addition to our normal episode last week uh we also had a last of us part two spoiler cast Sort of. Uh, it wasn't our main cast doing the episode, but it was Lucy and myself talking with Neil Druckmann and Hallie Gross, the uh, director and narrative co-lead of that game. So if you want a full spoiler-filled discussion, it is not spoiler-free at all. Uh, make sure you've played that game or don't mind being spoiled on it and check out that conversation. It was a really great discussion sort of about their process and uh, some early versions of how the game was and what it eventually ended up being and changes that went through in development. So I definitely recommend checking that out. And thank you again to Neil and Hallie for joining us for that episode. It was a really great talk to have. Uh, I also do want to mention on the topic of The Last of Us Part Two because it's something that I think we've seen very, very um, widespread, especially over the last week or so, um, a lot of unfortunate and uh, just unacceptable, unacceptable levels of harassment thrown at people behind the game, uh, both actors on it like Laura Bailey and, of course, people like Neil Druckmann uh, on the development side. Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say all of us here at Beyond, uh, both on the show and not on the show this week, categorically pretty much uh, denounce any sort of harassment of that kind. That is not something that we ever want uh, as part of our community or ever would stand behind in any sort of sense. No matter how you felt about that game or any game in particular, uh, it it doesn't give you uh, the right to suddenly be terrible to these people who are you know pouring their heart and souls into the work they're doing. Um, there's, a, there's a way to healthily and critically talk about games uh, and what works and what doesn't in them, but sort of what we're seeing on this like widespread nature Nature is not those ways. Uh, and so if you're someone who watches or listens to the show and you've engaged in that behavior, stop it or go away because that is not uh, something that we stand for or represent. Uh, and it's been really much uh, a bummer to see. You know, we've obviously gotten some sent our way just for covering the game, but not nearly on that level. And uh, it's been pretty terrible to see uh, around uh, so widespread. So I just wanted to mention that at the top of the show because it's definitely something we've seen a lot of and is probably not going to go away anytime soon but it's safe to say that is not something that we see as part of uh the beyond community uh or you know us on the show uh, so anyway just wanted to mention that at the top but i do want to get into there's a lot of news and big conversations to have both on the playstation exclusive side and not so want to jump into uh, a big piece of news that broke at the end of last week uh, that I actually put a poll up on the IGN Beyond YouTube channel, which was basically we learned that NBA 2K21 for its next-gen versions is going to cost $10 more. It'll be uh, $69.99 nice, on the PS5 and Xbox Series X versions, while the standard version, my girlfriend is shaking her head at me. Uh, while I'm the standard, <laughs> That's fair. That's completely fair. I'm looking at the run of show right now, so I couldn't see, but that's very fair. Um, the current gen versions will be the normal $60 price point, but the next gen versions will be $70 essentially. Uh, and the only way to get sort of the cross gen purchase that we've seen some games do like Marvel's Avengers will do cyberpunk will do giving you essentially like free upgrades to the next gen versions. Um, that is only available with the Mamba forever edition, which is the special edition uh, of the game, regardless of which generation you buy it on. Um, that's the only way to sort of get that cross gen purchase without buying the game twice. Um, and I, I do want to touch on that a little bit. Essentially, we are looking at uh, this is sort of the first indicator that next gen may come with it a price jump. We haven't really seen games uniformly go up in price since the beginning of the 360 uh, era when uh, some EA games and Call of Duty sort of started to usher in that change uh, along with a lot of other games and eventually $60 became the norm. But uh, we actually did reach out to the Beyond community and asked on YouTube uh, as of the time I'm reading this poll, 1.6 thousand votes came in. I uh, basically asked are you okay with this price change? Do you mind uh, spending a bit more on games? Are you not happy about it? Will you wait for sales? 52% uh, of the votes, so a little over 800 votes, said not happy about the change and that people will probably just wait for sales to happen more often because games go on sale very quickly and very often these days, uh, whereas 
39% said they don't mind spending a bit more. Um, so, you know, or roughly a 13% difference. And then uh, 9% of the vote said they're going to just stick with PS4 games for the time being instead of worrying about upgrading at all. Um, so I want to talk to both of you guys and definitely ask, how do you feel uh, about this price change if we do see it being something across the board do you think it's time do you think it's unfair to consumers how do you how do you hope it will change things uh cam i'll start with you yeah so i think the price increase is kind of expected like i feel that 60 dollars, even for the games that we're getting now is kind of a steal uh knowing uh, especially for the major first party and triple a games with so much content like $60 seems to be a pretty fair price and going up 10 more dollars with this next generation. Uh, I honestly thought it was going to, if it were to go up, it were to go up to $80. So 70 seems, uh, uh, you know, reasonable in that sense. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I get where I got, I get why people are upset. Um, obviously, you know, some people, like I remember when I was younger and I could only get a few games a year, if that, um, and but now there these games last so much i feel like last so much longer and i know that there was this uh silly commentary on twitter uh like a week or two ago about how the games are too long and i'm like well now you know the that games are too long for those consumers that aren't following the news that aren't following what we do and all that jazz they can they get their money's worth you know they're getting they're getting a satisfactory experience for the price that they pay. Uh, so I think I personally think that it's okay, but I think in a more general stance of people that don't follow gaming news and things like that, that it might cause some outcry about it. So that's, that's funny. Cause I'd actually like, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I, I do think it's like, I kind of expect the people that don't follow gaming news to sort of just not even notice. Like, like the there we've had like like I think that's why 2K probably feels comfortable making the move maybe is just because like people are just like that audience is just kind of going to buy NBA 2K right like it doesn't it doesn't really like they don't think hard about that decision every year necessarily and that's not throwing shade at that community or anything like that it's just like one of those game series that just sort of sells and like the 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 thing I will say is like I think the timing of this is not surprising at all to me like lining it up with new consoles is absolutely just like the thing that makes sense to do people are already spending you know hundreds of dollars on a new console and are already flexible and suddenly you can justify it being more expensive when it's like oh this isn't a ps4 game it's a ps5 game and it's like it seems like a different thing um but i i do agree with you in that like i don't i don't have much of a problem with it right like i personally it's like it's not a huge difference. There's a lot of arguments about like, like you said, inflation, you know, like this should probably technically be even more expensive if you're if you're kind of thinking a lot about on those terms, but also totally with you in that like, man, games are already expensive. <laughs> like, like 60, 60 bucks is a lot of money for for anybody like or for a lot of people. And like, just a little bit more expensive. It's just like, it feels like a little bit of salt in the wound a little bit. And so I totally understand why half of the listeners would be like annoyed by this because it is annoying, right? Like no matter how, how rational it is, I guess is the right way to put it. Like all the reasoning behind it is like tracks in a lot of different ways. But at the end of the day, it's like, you have to pay more money for a thing you want. And like, that's a bummer, <laughs> like yeah. pretty much. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I agree with both of you on that because it, it I think rational is the the right word because it does when you look at like the money and the increase in development costs and just like all the factors that go into what games are today it makes sense like I don't think it will be hard to argue that the amount of content that is probably going to be in the Elder Scrolls 6 will not be worth $70. Like yeah. if you want to, a lot of people like to just do, you know, like a pure, and it's not something we consider in our reviews and Tom, you can speak to that, but we don't like consider price as part of the way we evaluate games. Correct. That hasn't yeah, changed. It, it, no, no, no. It, it, it's, it, there are certain moments where it can like become a little bit of a factor or have a little bit of an influence on something. But the yeah. thing generally speaking for just like a single player game, that's not going to be a live service or not free to play or anything like that is like, if you're 
considering if you're heavily considering cost into the scoring of the game then like is every zero dollar game a 10 out of 10 or like does the score go up as the price gets lower like it, it introduces a lot of questions that are like it's for for just like a full price game it's better to just evaluate we think it's better to just evaluate it on like its merits as a game and then like yeah. if you want to wait for a sale because what we uh, what we thought of the game is not enough for you that's fine yeah i do m- m- sorry cam go ahead I just, I just think like in general another thing to put into perspective is that most games outside of nintendo first party for the most part go on sale pretty quickly after releasing so yeah, if you're yeah. if you're mad about the 70 the 70 dollar price tag for like moving forward not to say that all games are going to be like that but at least like with this nba uh example just wait a month and it'll go down 20 dollars <laughs> yeah and you're and then get it you know um yeah. so i, I mean, know that this there I'll, go ahead i was just gonna say watchdogs legion isn't even out yet and it's 40 dollars on amazon today as we're recording so yeah. Yeah, Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk gets ten dollars off, and that yeah. game is definitely going to be worth more than fifty dollars. So, <laughs> yeah, this episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. Shows that are so bad, they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily, NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK, so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems, and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers, and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Yeah, it's it's a very funny thing, because I, I totally get what you're saying, Tom, in terms of like, I totally understand and sympathize with our audience, because... Um, especially for the people who are just buying, you know, three or four games a year or who do need to wait for deals because it is a lot of money in general to be asking for an entertainment product. Um, like 10 more dollars does feel like a little bit, well, I'm already paying 60. Um, I do think, you know, both of you have sort of mentioned, I'm curious what this means for microtransactions going forward. Cause I've seen a lot of people be like, well, if this $70 is offsetting some of the increase we've seen in games, finding ways to get you to pay money after they've come out. I'll be more okay with it. I'm inclined maybe cynically to believe it's not going to really lead to much of a change in that regard. I don't know how both of you feel. I feel like microtransactions are going to kind of be the same in next gen. There's going to be really uh, any change in that sense. Um, there's yeah. just based off the base game price and, you know, if they do any little additional DLC packs or anything like that, that uh, some games do um, when with their base game launches. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's going to affect uh, microtransactions at all. Yeah, no, I agree. 
Yeah. And uh, a, a big thing I think I'm interested to know is at the end of the day, if games sort of do uniformly get this increase in price, where is that money going? Is it just going into the pockets of sort of the big CEOs and execs at all of these companies? Is it helping fund these games more, whether it's to employee salaries or into, you know, just the sheer money going into the technology behind these games? Like how how is that extra money being put back into the product and the people making those products, I do think is a big question that we can't really get an answer to until we're a few years into the generation, probably. Um, but uh, the other part of this announcement to me, I, I want to sort of both hear from you. How do you feel about essentially being charged for the cross-generation upgrade? Uh, because you do need to buy the special edition, which is $99.99, to get that uh, you know, upgrade or both generation versions if you want a previous gen version, I guess, um, if you're buying on PS5. How, how do you both feel about that? Do you think this should sort of be a uniformly free thing if a game company is going to offer any sort of upgrade program? Because um, we do have the smart delivery service on Xbox, but PlayStation yeah. doesn't have a uniform initiative. Uh, Cam, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I definitely think that um, if they offer some new upgrade that that should be the option period but i can uh so when i see that the you know the price tag to get the cross-gen uh upgrade once uh they get the next gen console and uh, like if you're if you're getting it at launch like you're planning on getting the ps4 version picking up the ps5 and then immediately wanting to get the ps5 version then it kind of feels a little sleazy because you know you're paying all this extra money and you see these other games that are being upgraded for free like assassin's creed valhalla for example um but when it comes to if, if, if you're waiting like a year or six months or something like that then maybe it's more reasonable like in that sense but just knowing from the get-go that there are other comp uh, like you know developers doing this for free it does look a little bad yeah, I I think we're we're sort of in uncharted territory, right? Because this is the 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 PS3 and the PS4 had this a little bit, but not nearly to the extent where like now, seven years after that, uh, that console jump, we're in a situation where you can update games and change the the look of games through a patch, and that's just ubiquitous and easy, right? Like we're we're used to that now. So the idea that you'd have to like buy a special version of the game in order to get that patch is like a little weird especially <laughs> when and this is the thing about all these like this is the ps5 upgrade and i'm gonna get a little bit like pc gamery here so i apologize for that but <laughs> the ps5 upgrade is just like max settings or higher settings on a pc version right like like these upgrades quote unquote and maybe they'll prove me wrong i don't know this for sure but like these upgrades are really just like tuning it up better because the system can run it better which is great like that's awesome i'm glad they're doing that but it's not like it's not like i i don't at least and this is speculation but i don't expect the upgrade that you're going to be getting to be like new work they're putting into the game specifically for this version if it's a ps4 game that's going to get an upgrade on ps5 if they're releasing a ps5 version separately that's a different story and i'm i'm, I'm not talking about that but like in that context, it feels weird to be like, you need to pay 20 more dollars in order to get like these higher settings, essentially. Is, and, and again, we're in uncharted territory, so I might just be like not knowing what I'm talking about here. But like that's the that's the way it looks, at least. Yeah. And that makes me more uncomfortable, especially when, like you said, Cam, you can just like get Assassin's Creed and get the better version. <laughs> Yeah, and um, NBA is a bit of a weird situation where they've said the next-gen versions are built from the ground up, but again, we don't know what the the real difference in development was. Right. Um, and, and, maybe, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. And I will totally own that if I'm wrong. We'll never know because, you know, <laughs> these uh, no game will ever come out ever again, unfortunately. The discussions are over. Uh, no, obviously, hopefully we'll, we'll have a bit more clear picture of all of this. But uh, I totally agree with you, Tom, as you're saying, like, we're in very weird uncharted territories because PlayStation did have cross buy as a thing uh, for the PS3, PS4 and even Vita. That was a, a big service that they implemented, but is not something they're bringing back, at least in name yet. 
So right. we are we're in a weird situation where it's it's unclear how every company is going to proceed since there's not a uniform plan going on. Um, I did want to briefly mention because I, I know it got some uh, pickup around Twitter, but your uh, per- perhaps to some spicy but not to me take on <laughs> the price increases when uh, people get mad about indie game prices or smaller game prices. Yeah, no, I just I just like this is like a. <laughs> This is very, and I don't, I'm having fun. This is lovely. But this is like whole thing of like, should games be 10 more, like AAA games be 10 more dollars to me is such a, like a tired conversation. When like you said, we don't know where that money's going. We don't know if it's going to devs, if it's just going into corporate pockets, if it's offsetting payments that we already seen. But like, meanwhile, half the conversation around Untitled Goose Game was like, that game's $20, really? And it's like, come on, guys. Like, they made a fun game. Like, pay pay them the money. Like, people, developers deserve to be compensated for the work they put into these things. And people are so unwilling to pay higher prices for indie games. But, like, suddenly we're having conversations around, like, $60 or $70. And it's just, like, a weird sort of thing. And so I tweeted a spicy take because i'm (laughs) against my better judgment because my my general policy in life is never tweet anything a reasonable policy to live by (laughs) um and uh we'll find out if people get mad at whatever we tweet about next but uh no i i agree with you they will yeah uh (laughs) i i I agree with you i always go back to especially because it's a recommendation you made uh return of the Oberdin. That I would never say, yeah, it's worth it if it's on sale. Like that is just that game is right. worth whatever they're charging for that game. Go play that game. It's Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight is fifteen dollars. Yeah, Undertale like, is fifteen dollars. Like, right. like that game and, is so good. Like I would pay forty dollars for Hollow Knight happily. Right. Like yeah. it, it's it's yeah. it's yet we're we're debating whether you know people still call that game be like oh you know it's wait till it's on sale and it's like come on <laughs> yeah there is uh deep rooted problems when it comes to sort of the economy by which we judge like the value of a game per dollar uh value and it's a i think a good important discussion to keep having but like you said there are a lot of more factors to it than just 10 more dollars for a next gen game good or bad there's a there's a lot more to it um but speaking about a game that was perhaps put into several parts and people have discussed whether or not it will be worth all the money in the end final fantasy 7 remake um the developers are talking about part two surprisingly uh it's not been named of course we don't have a release date where we haven't seen any of the game uh like cam was saying early on that game is presumably the part one is also coming to other consoles at some point because it's only got roughly a year exclusivity on playstation but we we don't really know about the future of what remake as a game or series of games looks like except for the fact that uh development on part two has quote temporarily dropped below 100% efficiency due to the uh, remote working situation that the team is facing. Um, In an interview with The Guardian co-director Naoki Hamaguchi and producer Yoshinori Katase were asked about the effects of COVID um, on the first part release and then especially on part two. Uh, They said, quote, the release of the game happening during the unprecedented situation has blindsided us. Um, at this current time, the team are still making the next game via remote working. Our performance will temporarily drop below 100% efficiency because of this, but I do not think there should be a big impact in the long term. Granted, we first had Final Fantasy VII Remake announced half a decade ago, and then we learned about it being multiple parts within that half decade, and then it finally came out, and it's still not done coming out. Presumably, there will be a next-gen version. Presumably, it'll probably come to PC and Xbox um maybe on the switch who knows at this point um but <laughs> my my <laughs> my question to both of you is basically what when do you think we're gonna see part two i mean we know they're working on it but how, how realistically far away do you think part two or whatever it's being called is dude I've, i have i have no idea i want to <laughs> i want to hear what you're saying because i literally have no clue i think we're gonna get it spring 2022 Okay. I think I think uh, that is reasonable. I think that uh, the because the thing is that they already have the the main party's character models done. Like at least of those that have been introduced, uh, you know, there's like four more party members that need still need to join. <laughs> uh, so there's that to put into perspective. Um, I don't think they're going to end up changing engines to Unreal Five when that drops. I think they're just going to stick with Unreal Four, which is you know perfectly good. Um, and I think that it's farther along than we think it is. 
Um, so that's kind of where my head's at that. I think that, uh, I think at the very earliest it's going to be spring 2022. And I think that they're going to keep the trend of releasing it in spring. So um, like every, every two years, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. I personally think the game's going to be in three parts. Um, I think that anything more than that would just be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but that's where I'm at, uh, with final fantasy seven uh, remake. Um, and I know that like Tetsuya Nomura said that he wanted to release it in multiple parts, like in smaller parts. And I love the guy. He's a god to me, but that is a <laughs> terrible idea. Do not do that, Tetsuya Nomura, please. Yeah, I think they they will meet diminishing returns if they go beyond three parts. I like the the trilogy model does work for a reason in in entertainment but yeah i think once you they had a fantastic like launch with this game on just the ps4 and i'm sure it'll do you know continue to do well as it comes to other consoles but i do think you start to rub an audience the wrong way when you're like hey our experimental but also nostalgic remake of a beloved one of the most beloved rpgs of all time is going to be seven parts to match <laughs> the seven in the the title <laughs> have fun i'm sorry <laughs> Um, yeah, man, I like this is the funny thing, though, about the way it got delayed and then it being in parts and all this stuff is like now this the first game and the second game, no matter when it comes out, are going to split generations. So like my concern is like, are they going to have to start over at some point? Right. Or are we going to be playing a PS4 level game that they're just building off of the back of like for part three in four years, theoretically? Right. Like that's us all. Uh, guessing and kind of speculation but like that that's such an interesting thing to me because and and it's part of why it it's so hard for me to gauge this i think your theory about every two years or like roughly or at least spring 2022 or any of that i think that's probably like a a good angle right like i think that's a good a good kind of like a shot but like man i have such a hard time getting my own sort of beat on this like it it just is it's there's so many different factors and they've said so little that I just have no sense of how to like get my footing with it. Yeah. And I think that with just with the development cycle of part one, I, I know that for me and for a lot of people, we're just like, are they going to nail this? Are they not? Are, is it going to, are they going to slip? Like, yeah. especially with, you know, people uh, being disappointed in kingdom Hearts three that people were just like, oh man, I don't think Square Enix, you know, has the touch anymore. You know, Final Fantasy 15 was kind of a disaster with the development cycle. Uh, and then they nailed it, in my opinion, like they completely nailed it. So for me, like, I'm not really too stressed about this news. I'm just like, okay, when it comes out, it comes out. I, I have my trust in them now at this point, at least with the Final Fantasy 7 remake project that things are going to turn out well. And when they come out, they come out. Well, it's also it's also funny when stuff like this COVID thing happens where they're like, we're not operating at a percent capacity. And it's like a delay of a thing you never announced. Right. Like, yeah, like we yeah. we didn't know what 100 percent capacity was aiming for. So saying you're at like 80 percent is like, OK, I guess that's like we still don't know what the like where we're working with here. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, we all uh, by and large, the reception to remake was pretty positive. But I yeah. think the the lead up to it was filled with so many questions and issues that could be solved by them just not saying so much if they just say <laughs> hey we're gonna go develop this thing we'll talk to you soon when we have an update that's worth telling you and then they just get, go heads down uh i think the more things they say the more complicated it will get uh, mm. and i am okay if they just decide hey we're gonna work on this and we don't hear about remake part two until at the earliest e3 next year <laughs> that's fine with me um you know there's a, f a few other major games to come out in the interim uh i do since i do want to get to some more square talk later on though i do want to get through a little bit of the other news that's happening just briefly i did want to mention uh playstation announced a a renewed playstation indies focus they launched a new website for playstation indies and essentially did a state of play but only on the blog, the PlayStation blog, they didn't do like a video sort of carousel thing like they have for other state of plays where they announced a host of indie games coming to PS4 and PS5. Uh, just to run down the list, there was Forged in Shadow Torch or FIST or Fist, uh, Maquette 
or maquette, I don't know, where the heart is, uh, creeks, heavenly bodies, recompile, carto, haven, worms rumble, uh, and that was a list of uh, all of the games that are coming. Some of these had already been announced. Some were more just confirming them for PS5 launches. Some were brand new announcements. Um, I want to ask both of you, uh, especially Tom, with you on the panel, and uh, I would say as the the bastion of indie supported IGN uh, <laughs> is. Um, but for me, what I loved about the launch of the PS4 was sony really being all in on indies and it not just being about uh the first party stable or third party uh you know triple a games it was big games were standing alongside stuff like octodad and uh transistor and all that sort of stuff was given equal weight for the most part i would say but that really like tapered off as this generation went on and i would say the switch kind of took the mantle of like the place to play indie games um are you just seeing this and just seeing sort of the initiative they're doing, and they have made some recent hires and transitions in the leadership. Do you think we're going to see this in the long run be a continued focus for them? Or would you say this feels sort of like lip service at the beginning and we'll have to just wait and see? We'll have to see, I think just in general, like I don't, I don't necessarily think it's just lip service because PlayStation has proven that they, they are willing to and excited to support indies, like you said, but like, it's not a hundred percent, like it's in their control, but it's like, it's, it's not a hundred percent in their control. This is something I talked to when I went up to Canada a little while ago and spoke to the people at EXOK games who are the developers of Celeste and Towerfall. Um, and I did a big interview with them. And one of the things we talked about was like that cycle, right? Cause indie support is cyclical where it was Xbox live arcade for a really long time was the place you would go to get indie games. And then it became the PS4 and the Vita and then it became the switch and like it's it's gone in these cycles and the way they explained it was it was like it's whoever's offering the best deal to these developers right and now there's enough developers that it might be easier for like Nintendo to be able to do that while Sony does that while Microsoft does that but really it's going to come down to like what is the stuff we don't see to be honest yeah. it's going to be the stuff of like what is what is Sony doing behind the scenes to give these guys support and i think something like this where it's like we're going to spend a whole day talking about these indie games and talking about how we're excited about them coming to PS5 is cool. Like that's, that's lip service, but it's lip service that, that may mean something. Um, yeah, I, yeah. um, I, I, I will say they have, <clears throat> excuse me, me saying lip service wasn't, uh, indicative necessarily of how I feel because I do think they've, um, they've made some hires recently. Uh, Greg Rice, who used to be at Double Fine, I believe, yeah. has come on in a indie focus capacity, um, a partnership capacity. So, and they moved uh, Shuhei into a different position that is more indie focused, and uh, he yeah. has always been such a big proponent of that. And so, giving him that focused role with Greg on the team, and you know, this sort of renewed focus, I hope does mean that the PS5 will be a great home for indie support. Yeah, I, th- I think it's totally possible. Cam, how do you feel yeah. about that? Uh, yeah, so I uh, kind of uh, following up with what you guys are saying. Um, I think that I think it's something that we should take seriously because Shuhei is in this position, and like, so I think that's when I'm like, okay, they're actually committing to this. Um, and I think that, and I think they proved that as well with the PS5 presentation. Like some of the outside of like Spider-Man, which you know obviously got. Uh, me really hyped um the best things i saw in my opinion were indie games uh, like little devil inside really stood out to me and kenna um bridge of spirits i think it's called uh, both weeks, of those. Later, weeks later all anyone's talking about is bug snacks right like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah talking about bug snacks um yeah. <laughs> and so yeah i think that playstation is trying to be like hey we're having major third party or first party games and we're also uh, you know, it's committing to having great indie titles as well. And I think that just depending on kind of what you said, um, Mark, on, uh, Tom, uh, Tom Marks, <laughs> on the inside of, uh, on the inside uh, where developers are being offered, getting these offers, like now there's kind of an appeal to everywhere. It's like Switch has, you know, Switch is just known for indies at this point, but then Xbox has Game Pass. And I know that, We've seen that people say that, yo, sales have quadrupled because of Game Pass and uh, for these less popular titles. Um, but now with this PS5, like, I think it would be really cool if they 
did similar to what Nintendo does with their um, Nindies, you know, the Nind- Indie World thing, and do that with like State of Play. Because for me, State of Play is never really, in- like, I never been uh, impressed by anything that they've shown during a State of Play. But like, if they made it so, like, hey, here are all the big indie games that are coming out first to PlayStation Four, and do it that way. I think that would be a really good way to signal boost those games. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at with it. But I, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what PlayStation does because I, I feel like now there's something for each platform to try and get these indie developers to release their games on their platform first. Yeah, I think, um, as both of you are saying, if if all platforms can support it, it will only mean better things for the dev community overall because it's more places to be promoted it's more avenues to get funding it's all that stuff uh the, the game pass the idea at xbox program if playstation has this renewed focus uh i'm excited about it like you both were saying i think a lot of stuff in that ps5 reveal was the the coolest stuff was mostly the indies uh that really got me excited and so i'm i'm hopeful for the future but it is one of those things where we'll just have to wait and see what we're talking about three or four years from now um i do want to talk about uh what we've been playing and games we can talk about that are out now but i do uh before we run out of time i do definitely want to make sure to leave a little room and so i'm going to shift the run of show i'm so sorry uh to talk about kingdom hearts first absolutely so uh welcome (laughs) to the return of the kingdom hearts minute that will go on for a little bit longer than a minute uh in the lead up to (laughs) what was really funny my favorite thing just a small aside about this segment that i introduced while hosting this show was that people thought max and brian were actively limiting me from talking about kingdom hearts on beyond as if i was only allowed for a minute i just thought it was funny to have to blurt it out without breathing for 60 seconds and see how much i could say um so there was never any behind the scenes you know uh prevention of me talking about kingdom hearts but those all their sorry. all their indignation about kingdom hearts was very front of the scenes it was exactly it was, yeah you saw it all yeah uh and if i wanted to make it two minutes i could have but you know <laughs> uh anyway i do want to talk about it because i know cam you're a, a big fan of the series uh and tom at least we have talked about it enough that i know you can understand and appreciate the franchise oh i like kingdom hearts I, oh I, no I, I know yeah just without uh exasperated size waiting to talk about yakuza max i <laughs> know uh, I, I love max and i promise i will play yakuza at some point but anyway we're here to talk about kingdom Hearts. Yeah, i'm the same way like uh the dual shocker staff huge like yakuza fans and uh we gave judgment our game of the year last year i got completely blindsided i was just like what because <laughs> we were discussing it and everyone's like judgment i'm like what what i like i knew this game was like good but you guys didn't make it seem like it was game of the year material but yeah, so I, I recently bought all the Yakuza games and I'm planning to hopefully play through all of them leading up to Like a Dragon later this year. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited for that, too. And yeah, I, I sort of have had a similar thought that I'm going to jump into that series before Like a Dragon. So hopefully we can have a part two to this discussion with Max involved, but he's not here. So let's talk about Kingdom Hearts. Uh, Cam, I, I do want to get your thoughts since it's obviously not something we had you on the show at that time. But uh, how did you feel overall about Kingdom Hearts 3, especially now so far removed from it? And uh, I guess compounded on that, the most recent release with the Remind DLC. Yeah, so man kingdom hearts 3 is uh i still love kingdom hearts 3 uh i think that they definitely took some obvious missteps uh and i think the biggest misstep that they did was that they tried to make this game a soft reboot for the series when it was the last entry of the xehanort saga so that was just like a big miss uh to me and also going back to the one world visits I thought Kingdom Hearts 2 um, had the perfect structure where she's like, okay, the first visit's going to focus on the, the Disney story. Second one's going to focus on the Kingdom Hearts story. Um, and then, uh, but then, you know, it just kind of, it was just kind of pointless. It was just like Sora literally just in this world <laughs> doing their, doing, following these characters. And that was kind of it. it. Like it, it felt very disjointed. Like when, like when Flynn gets stabbed in the tower and then Sora, Donald and Goofy are just sitting there on the, uh, at the windowsill, just 
it was like, why are you guys here? It doesn't, it didn't make any sense. <laughs> um, it, it just felt really um, out of place in that sense. Um, I think uh, the, I just think that um, overall, three just took almost every misstep to what two did. Uh, because I think two is just like, I think two is a 10 out of 10 game. I think the, I think the game still holds up today. I think the combat is the best the series has had. Um, you know, them removing reaction commands was really disappointing. Uh, I think that was like a really great factor into kingdom hearts combat. Um, and I think, but at the end of the day, I still really loved the game. Um, despite its missteps. Um, I think that the remind DLC, at least the second half, cause the first half was kind of like a rehash. Um, but you could play as like Riku and Roxas and, uh, during the, uh, la when you're going through the labyrinth and things like that. Um, but I think that the, uh, I, I'm in, I'm still like interested in where the story is going to go. Like, I want to know more about Lushu and the foretellers. I want to know more about the black box. Like those are the things that I want. And then Yazora, like what, what is any of that? <laughs> um, so it's uh really interesting and I'm looking forward to, I th yeah, I think the second half of the remind DLC was what I think what fans wanted in the base game. Like when, um, the seven, you know, the seven lights are fighting the 13 yeah. Xehanorts in the circle. Like that was exactly what I wanted. That was what that like cemented the reasons like, this is why I love kingdom hearts, you know? And then like when Mickey is going towards the giant keyhole, I'm like, this is what I love about kingdom hearts. And, uh, I feel like a lot of that was kind of missing in the base game, but then they kind of fixed it with the remind DLC um but hopefully moving forward i hope that they kind of more look towards what kingdom hearts 2 was as a game like across the board and use everything that worked which is the vast majority of that game <laughs> and put it in uh in the inevitable kingdom hearts 4 first mainline uh kingdom hearts game for this uh new saga because uh you know the the missteps that they took and kind of it just kind of felt like a mixture of like one and two, like the, the good sure. things of two were there, but then like kind of like the bad things of one were there. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but you know, I love kingdom hearts. Um, I, it is my favorite franchise. Kingdom hearts two is my favorite game of all time to this day. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to where the series is going. It's uh Nomura is a really interesting storyteller. Uh, and I, and I, and I kind of get why, uh, people are kind of turned off by Kingdom Hearts. Some people are just like, oh, it's Disney characters. I'm just like, that's cool. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but then there's other people that just like kind of don't understand like the way Nomura does his storytelling because it's a lot of visuals and a lot of metaphorical storytelling that if you just take it for what you're seeing, you're not going to really understand. But if you like think about what that represents, the representation behind things that happen throughout the games you i think you'll be able to connect to it more and even then there are some things where i'm just like you know i'll be browsing the internet and they'll be like oh this was what that meant and i'm like i didn't even i didn't even think about that <laughs> there's so many layers to uh the characters and the story and everything like that uh it's a it's a great franchise uh you know for better or worse um you know there's definitely not some great kingdom hearts games but i think that all of them are worth playing at least once for better or worse. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's, uh, I love it. That was a very succinct encapsulation. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the further I get away from KH3, the more I think about how it's so clearly a product of its time when it comes to the Disney factor, because yeah. like you were saying, the, the Disney stuff feels so, so isolated from one another. And what I fell in love with as a kid, especially when I was younger with the earlier entries was the blending of Disney franchises and everything. But these worlds felt so sectioned off and like what happened in each of them really didn't matter to the overall story um, in a, in an unfortunate way that lost a lot of the charm that I think made those early entries so beloved and kind of like helped catapult the series to what it is today. Um, I don't know if we could ever have that again, honestly. Like it's one of those weird things where because Disney is what it is now, I don't know if they would allow 
that sort of melding, at least like with their biggest franchises. I almost wish uh, the next Kingdom Hearts games went towards some of the like lesser known or the less marquee franchises where it's like, yes, it's not frozen and tangled and you don't have that name recognition. But honestly, working with some of the smaller stuff, maybe they could do some more interesting crossover uh, ideas. But yeah, it's a... We're, we're at a very interesting place. I totally agree with you. It's like a very weird crossroads for where the series can go from here. And it like, it did feel like they were trying to soft reboot it in case they can't do too much Disney stuff in the future. Um, but it did take away from what that game was trying to do. Um, yeah. But, you know, at least we're getting a music game next. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> looking forward to it. And it's canon. I, it, yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah. a story to it. It will have <laughs> okay. important. It'll have important, meaningful story implications, which is very Kingdom Hearts at this point. I do, yeah. I, you know, I I sound like I'm joking. I am actually really excited for that. I do. I loved the at yeah. rhythm. Uh, and I think like regardless of the ups and downs of the series, the score is, I'd say, almost the consistently great thing. Like no matter what, the score is just so good. Um, yes. So playing a music game set to that score is a is a fun opportunity to me. I just... I'm all is surprised, but also not surprised that we'll have heavy story implications as we go further. Just a quick like tangent, just really quick. Yes. Do you think Sora's coming to Smash? <laughs> Do you think it's gonna happen? <sighs> I don't good. think so because of licensing stuff. Yeah. Because you can't put Sora you can't put Sora in Smash without putting Donald and Goofy in Smash. Yes, you, can. you absolutely can. You can put Riku in there. You can put Roxas in there in the background. Make um uh oh dive to the heart, the main stage, the with the stained glass. Oh, like yeah. perfect. All right, all right. I can yeah. see that. I can yeah, see that. It, it, it definitely works. It definitely works. And and the thing is, like, people are like, Oh, Disney wouldn't allow it. Like, why wouldn't Disney allow it? But it, weirdly, it, weirdly, it's not just Disney in my eyes, because it's Disney, but also like Square Enix was really, really like restricted with putting Cloud. Cloud in Smash. Like there was a single song, and like it was really, really like they did not give Nintendo much there. So I'd love to see Sora in Smash, but man, like I don't know. It seems it sounds like it just sounds like a nightmare of like how many people have to sign that piece of paper. <laughs> I understand Cloud because Cloud is literally their poster boy of sorts, where they want right. his treatment to be exactly how they want it but you know we we have hero and you know uh dragon quest is arguably their biggest franchise in japan that's and true, then but so why can't we get sora like you know what i mean uh but that's all i just wanted to uh quickly <laughs> ask if you guys think that it realistically will happen uh i man i pray every night i'm not a religious <laughs> man but i pray every night um, i think I don't think it's impossible. Like, I definitely think oh, the the clear fan demand uh, they know, and it will definitely be. I'm curious who uh, the fighter number two is for this second round of characters. I think that'll be a little more telling because Min Min isn't really indicative of any other like third party collaboration because it's obviously a Switch exclusive. So I this is uh, more suited for NBC for sure. Sorry, Tom, but. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, I think it is possible, but I honestly my answer will depend on who the second character probably is more so than anything. Uh I think once we see that, uh this also tells me very clearly we need to have you back to have a more in-depth Kingdom Hearts retrospective. So uh let's Wait. let's talk offline uh or online but off the show uh and figure out some other Kingdom Hearts fans to corral for a show because yes. I think we, we have we have a lot we could do. Um yes. But Tom, I do want to get to, and apologies to Red, our producer. I know we're going to run a little bit long. Please forgive me. Uh, I'll help you figure out what to cut for some of the, we will, because I want to hear you uh, briefly mention you reviewed a Marvel's Iron Man VR, which is, you know, arguably the biggest PSVR exclusive this year that we know about. Um, yeah. You gave it a seven. You called it good. Uh, it's something I've had some hands-on time with. I haven't beaten the campaign, but I played for a couple hours last night and had played in uh, preview builds. and thought uh we should just open up to you to hear your sort of overall thoughts on playing. yeah no uh so if you want to hear any of my extended sort of like better thought out stuff I, you can check out the review on ign.com or youtube.com slash ign obviously shameless plug but um yeah no i i enjoyed iron man vr i didn't i wasn't like blown away by it 
but I had fun with it a lot. Uh, it was, I, I mentioned on the show previously, I have kind of been dealing with like tendonitis right now. And like, literally my doctor was like, just rotate your wrists a lot. And then I got to review a game where literally the way you control the way you play is by rotating your wrists a lot. So it was like, perfect. It was great. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very fun. The flying and the combat I think is really, really fun. It's just sort of like a thin game. It, it doesn't have a, a whole lot of meat on its bones. Like the progression is sort of flat and the story really fell flat for me. But the interesting thing that I've been noticing too is along with some other reviews, reviews have generally been around where I was at, right? Like positive, but not like hugely glowing. Um, Not that every review has to be the same. And in fact, like I've been seeing a lot of people or some people feel the way I do, but also some people feel the opposite of I do where they're like, I thought the combat was really thin and the story was great. So like there, there's obviously some different opinions out there in that regard, uh, which is totally fine. But yeah, it's the, the big takeaway I think is it it's not like the reason to buy PSVR that I think some people might've been hoping it was going to be. And it's not like Marvel Spider-Man now Marvel's Iron Man not like that level of ps4 exclusive it's just sort of like another good vr game um which is you know not the end of the world right it's it's a good vr game it's just not like it just didn't blow me away or anything for sure yeah i um uh, i totally agree with you on i have to see more of the story to sort of comment on it overall but um the flying stuff feels great like having that experience is so fun and when you do get the hang of it and being able to pull off some really fun maneuvers and just dodging out of the way of an enemy or just figuring out how how to land a shot uh can be so fun i i do hope that it does well enough though at least that we do get a sequel because like you're saying some stuff feels thin hopefully a sequel can kind of really they they have the groundwork and they have the basis for what the game can be so here's what they can build off of yeah but but on that same thing and we've talked about this off the show before but like dude i don't want a sequel if it's going to use move controllers again yeah it needs to be on new hardware (laughs) yeah like they they the the work they did with making the headset like tracking work well is shockingly impressive like really really wonderfully impressive but at the end of the day like the they deserve so much credit the developers deserve so much credit for what they milked out of this hardware but like those move controllers are a decade old and they they show man like it really does show that these things were not designed for this type of experience at all and like it's it works it functions it's great but like i don't know if i want to play iron marvel's iron man 2 vr 2 using a move controller in three years or whatever. Like that just doesn't sound appealing to me. Yeah. It, uh, it, a PSVR two is sorely needed and some new yeah. controllers that take advantage of everything that's happened since those move controllers came out yeah. would definitely be a, a huge help to a sequel for this. But like you were saying, a huge kudos to those devs for getting what they have out of the PSVR and those. It's an achievement. It's yeah, an achievement absolutely. what they've done. It's just an achievement limited by the tech they're working with. If For that sure. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, if you've been playing Marvel's Iron Man VR, obviously we try to keep as uh, much of a beat on PSVR as we can, uh, especially as we head into the next generation. Let us know what you've been thinking about Iron Man VR, and we'll uh, hopefully read some impressions on the show next week. But uh, that's going to wrap it up, I think, unfortunately, for episode 654, because I could keep talking uh, about Iron Man VR, about uh, Kingdom Hearts, about a lot of stuff that we've been talking about. But uh, thank you, Tom and Cam, for joining me this week. Uh, Beyond is normally live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific at beyond.ign.com, youtube.com slash IGN Beyond, and your favorite podcast services around the world. Of course, you can go check out all the rest of our work on IGN.com and youtube.com slash IGN. Uh, And Cam... uh, anything you want to direct people to particularly that you've worked on recently or just sort of uh, generally where to find you on Twitter and online? Um, nothing particularly uh, editorial wise or anything like that, but uh, I write editorials quite a bit on, uh, on dual shocker. So yeah. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, the cinephile guy. I don't know why I said Twitter like that. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, you can follow dual shockers at dual shockers and dualshockers.com we have a very great staff of uh writers who are passionate and love video games so please uh please give uh the site uh, a look-see uh, appreciate it um and thank you jonathan and uh tom for uh inviting me on and uh yeah thanks 
<laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll definitely, like I said, have you back and definitely talk about Kingdom Hearts more in the future. Um, <laughs> always but, talk about Kingdom Hearts. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure we could get uh, at least another hour out pretty easily. Oh, 100% easy. <laughs> We'd get there. Um, but anyway, that's going to about wrap us up for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at JM Dornbush and Tom at Tom R. Marks. Uh, though uh, sometimes we live by uh, Tom's uh, advice and just don't tweet it instead. <laughs> and so maybe you won't see us on Twitter sometimes when we take breaks. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening and or watching this episode. Uh, we hope you're safe. We hope you're well. Be good to one another. And as always, beyond. 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 Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.